Hey guys, before we start this episode, I wanted to talk to you about Type 1 Lifting. So Type 1 Lifting is a clothing line that proceeds of the shirts and tanks and everything else goes to the Children's Diabetes Foundation. So um, this all came about with me and seeing a five-year-old girl in the emergency department uh, that had a new onset of diabetes. So uh, just take a look at the website. It's www type1lifting.com so just check it out if you don't buy anything that's perfectly fine uh, I would just like for you just to take a look and just see what we have so like I said before www.type1lifting.com and guys I hope you enjoy the show Alright guys, welcome to another episode of the Type 1 Lifting Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I have a, a great guest. You know, he's one of the busiest diabetics I know. So his name's Rob Howe. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. And uh, thanks for having me. I think the uh, the way that me and my team are, are talking about it now is that I'm the hardest working guy in diabetes. That's like the... Uh, that's like what we're manifesting. So we're taking away busy and just throwing it to hard working. All right, I'll take I'll take hard working. <laughs> well, it's nice to finally get to ch- get the chance to talk to you. You know, especially another tall diabetic because I'm six six, and so I don't really see too many tall diabetics. And it's you know nice to actually talk to another one. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, so you and me, and then uh, Derek Thieler is also like six 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 seven, and Matt Vandevec is like six five six six. Uh, the FTF warrior. So a lot of a lot of tall drinks of water around here. <laughs> so um, quick question. So when did you become a diabetic? Uh, I was diagnosed on January first, two thousand five, and I was sixteen years old. So uh, coming up on seventeen years, man, pretty wild. Wow, or sixteen, sixteen years. Yeah. That's crazy. So how did how did you find out you you were a diabetic? So uh, I was I was playing basketball and um, I was losing weight. I was frequent urination, the the usual symptoms. And at the time, so like I walk around like two thirty now. Uh, my basketball playing weight in uh, college was like two twenty, and uh, I was like one fifty five. So I was like six five, one fifty five. So very skinny. Um, and I was down about twenty pounds and. I, I remember I started feeling weird and I was like, wasn't feeling right. And then I noticed I was going to the bathroom a lot. So I started keeping track. And on New Year's Eve, I went to this like lock-in kind of thing at the mall with like a bunch of my friends. And I remember counting. I peed 27 times that night. Jeez. And I just remember every time I peed, I would be like the most thirsty I've ever been. And then I would like drink water. So I'm an athlete and I'm like thinking in the back of my mind, like, man, my coach is going to be psyched. Like I'm just drinking all this water. I'm like really hydrated. Like I'm clearly like <laughs> doing all the right stuff. Um, and then the next morning I woke up and I was nauseous. Um, and so I like threw up and my mom was like, God, something's wrong with you. So we're going to take you to urgent care. And when I did that, they were like, listen to my symptoms. And they were like, hmm, uh, let's check your blood sugar. And they checked it. And they were like, hey, you got to go to the emergency room. Uh, you definitely have type 1 diabetes. So you need to head on out of here. And uh, so from the urgent care to the hospital where I was diagnosed, it was about 25 minutes away. And so it was like raining. And I didn't really get any information there. They were just like, hey, we've called the emergency room. Like, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just remember like the postal service uh, was on the radio. And it was like raining and like the windshield wipers. It's like this really sad emo moment because uh, we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, 
and what this meant for, for my life. So uh, when we got there, I had this awesome uh, endocrine care team. And they, they told me from day one, like as long as I took care of my diabetes, that I could do whatever it is I wanted to do. Um, and so uh, that was kind of all I needed. And I, and I think at the time, I didn't realize how important that was for me to hear. Because as you know, interviewing a lot of people with diabetes, not everybody has that diagnosis story. So, yeah. Uh, I was just glad that, uh, you know, not only did my endocrine care team give me the right tools and the right encouragement, my parents were there. I was very fortunate to have both my parents really involved in my life and very supportive of what I wanted to do. And um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just very blessed, man. Yeah. So does anybody in your family have diabetes or is it just pretty much just, just you? So as far as I know, man, I'm the only one. Uh, you know, obviously prior to 100 years ago, I mean, they, it could have been anybody, right? There could be yeah. some way back because uh, they could have just died and not really known um but yeah as far as i as far as i know in my entire extended family i'm the only one okay yeah same same here so like i and plus i well i didn't get diagnosed at 16 but mine's like later on at like 35 so it's yep. it was like and i i remember that day vividly so yeah, I, don't, I don't think like your day of being diagnosed you'll like never forget it especially the numbers that you see too so man yeah i uh, i think I, my my blood sugar was um I wasn't in DKA, which I'm grateful for. That was really good, really lucky and fortunate for me. Um, my blood sugar, I think, was 425 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's funny looking back. My mom, when I, like, threw up and, like, was nauseous, she gave me a Dr. Pepper to calm my stomach down because <laughs> that's what you do. And so, like, that for sure set me way up. So the doc said, uh, based on my A1C, I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly what it was, but that uh, my average blood sugar is probably in the low 200s uh, for quite a while. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So when you were playing sports, especially in high school, like did you get um, pretty much like how did your team and coaches and, you know, parents manage you, you know, with playing sports in, in high school? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, my first varsity double-double, uh, I had like 13 points and 11 rebounds, was my first game back from from uh from when i got diagnosed and obviously like i just felt way better i could just move good i like lost the weights so i was a little bit more bouncy too it was kind of funny uh but you know i felt strong i felt energetic i just felt so good which was something that i you know hadn't really noticed was mm -hmm. going on but clearly like i just had a lot more energy and over the next two years um you know my parents honestly trusted me and you know looking back now I went to sleep away basketball camps that summer, like less than six months in, my parents were cool with me going. We always talked to the camp ahead of time. Uh, they were very confident that I knew what I was doing, um, but they, they gave me the autonomy to go do that. They knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a basketball player. And in order for me to do that, I was gonna have to go away and, and you know play. And I'm very fortunate that my parents uh, gave me the opportunity to do that. So um, in high school, uh, I was on multiple daily injections. I had no CGM. I just checked my blood sugar a lot. And I was kind of also honeymooning for sure. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really until maybe after I graduated high school, like two years in, that uh, diabetes management became a little bit more difficult for me, uh, especially going into the college basketball environment, which was much more strenuous. Um, and I wasn't really ready for that. But, uh, you know, I think – it, that was not just diabetes. That was just a combination of kind of growing up and going to a new place and taking a step up in a sport uh, by, uh, you know, going up a level. Um, and that was kind of an adjustment period. But yeah, the, the first few years, I really, uh, you know, I played a lot of summer ball. 
uh, traveled a lot, um, and had had a few games like where diabetes really got in the way, like mm-hmm. on some road trips, um, and you know, but at the same time was able to go do what I wanted to do, and um, you know, I, I'm very grateful that. Uh, again, I had the support team and the parents and the coaching staff. Like they, they would ask some questions every now and then, but I, they would leave me alone about it for the most part. So that, that's awesome. Uh, as long as I felt like I was good, they were cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, leading into you going to college, so did you? How did how did the coaching staff and like uh, personal training staff like handle you guys? Because they probably may have dealt with a diabetic before, but you know, obviously different diabetics, different cases. So how did they handle you? So I was the first one for all of them. Um, But during the recruiting process, I was very, my parents and I made the decision and looking back, like very important, like, but we made the conscious decision to be upfront about maybe we weren't going to hide it because I was going to a place where I was going to have to spend four years and we wanted them to know like what they were getting into. We didn't feel the need to like oversell me or anything. So, um, had the conversation with my coach. My narrative was basically like, Hey, I have this, but it's not stopping me from doing anything. So if I have a problem, I'll let you know. Um, and same thing with the training staff. As I uh, kind of got through, I switched from multiple daily injections to a pump my junior year of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every two years uh, at my school, because it was a master's program for our training staff, uh, I got a new trainer. So I think I had three trainers total. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of them, actually, I talked to my trainer from my senior year, John Michael, who was one of my closer friends. Uh, who was also a trainer. Um, he now coaches at a high school in uh, in Memphis, and he had like three type one girl soccer players over the years. Uh, and he's like always uses me as an example. And he's like, now he's like, now I can just send them to your, their moms to your Instagram and be like, hey, like this guy, I coached or I helped this guy in college. So like, this is how I learned to to handle diabetic athletes. And he's like, it's, it's amazing how many of them are like, oh yeah, I went and listened to the podcast. And I was like, oh dude, thanks for, uh, thanks for, for plugging me. And uh, I just think it's interesting how that all works out. So I was the first one for all of them, but they've all since had experience with other diabetic athletes. Yeah. So, um, so when they, were they super nervous, like training with you at all? Or what, what was their like train of thought while they were like t- taking care of you? They actually, you know, I give them all a lot of credit and I don't know if this is just my personality, but I, am very independent mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't like to, I don't like extra maintenance or extra attention on myself, not even related to diabetes. Just like, I don't want to feel like a burden. That's probably like most of my anxiety is from that, but, um, they honestly worked with me. So I had, a, I had one, my trainer, my junior, I saw, I guess, sophomore and junior year, um, was she and I went through like the biggest hurdles together because we changed therapies. So we, um, we had to adjust to, mm-hmm. you know, life without basal insulin, you know, and like going to a pump and I had never done that before. She had never done that before. So we did a lot of learning, but ultimately they were, we were just plugged in every day. I would go in, um, with her and we would make sure my sugars were good before practice. Uh, we had a routine on game day where I would check my blood sugar during the national anthem and inject myself if I needed to, or, you know, treat my, you know, take, uh, some Gatorade or something. I always had, I had to buy my own Gatorades and like keep them on the bench, you know? So, uh, and she would like make sure that no one would steal them because, you know, college athletes are always wanting free stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it was a learning experience, but, uh, and certainly not without its ups and downs. And I really had to change my approach to getting ready for games because, 
uh, cortisol and adrenaline, mm-hmm. as I know now, uh, and stress really spike your blood sugar way up. Um, and college basketball games, especially under my coach, were very stressful, very high stress, very high adrenaline style events. And that affected my blood sugar negatively. So I really had to kind of adjust the way I prepared. And sometimes I got it right, sometimes I didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's always a learning curve pretty much, I think dealing with that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning and I've, I've been in, I've been a diabetic for five years, so it's, you know, always a learning curve. So, um, did you ever in college get like a burnout phase or in high school and what was that like? And how did you kind of like try to snap out of that? You know, I never, I never had a burnout phase the way that you hear people talk about like not taking care of yourself or, uh, you know, not wanting to be diabetic, but I certainly like didn't lean into my identity as as a diabetic. I didn't want to be known as a diabetic athlete. I didn't want to be known as a diabetic student. I just wanted to be an athlete. I just wanted to be a student and like manage my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that was the journey that I went on. I can't change it. But if I had to go back, I would I would lean a little bit more into like talking and being more open about diabetes. Um, there really wasn't like a diabetes online community very much then I was also young and playing basketball. That was my number one priority. So, um, you know, it was hard for me to, to adjust to, you know, identifying as that, but you know, diabetes is a tough disease. Uh, it's a disability. It, you know, it gives you access to things that other people don't have access to through the Americans with disabilities act. And I didn't necessarily take advantage of any of those. And maybe I wouldn't have needed to, but it would have been nice for me to be a little bit more knowledgeable, uh, a little bit more well-informed and identifying as like, Hey, I, I am a person with diabetes. I guess the, I may have only shared this once before. Uh, the first time I was like out with my diabetes in a sense where I brought it up, uh, was in a class and a, and a teacher asked a question and I was like, Oh, well, this makes sense to me because I live with diabetes and this is how I, and I was, I think it was about counting carbs or something. And I applied that to the store, like the, it was a management class. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this is how I, I do that. So, you know, it's very similar to this. And I remember that day, this guy who I knew and I had seen around and I had worked with before came up to me after class and said, Hey man, I didn't know you had diabetes. Um, you know, my cousin has diabetes and he's like 13 uh, and I see you playing college basketball. His his doctor said that he probably shouldn't run Ironmans and he loves running Ironmans. Uh, would you be okay to talk to him? And I was like, oh, yeah, man, absolutely. So he sent me an email. And uh, now now the story's come back to me. I have told it a couple times. But it's been a while. Uh, and he and I exchanged emails. And I was like, hey, man, you know, you can do what you want to do. Obviously, take care of yourself. Listen to your doctor. But maybe find a different doctor. Like, mm-hmm. work a plan. To There, there are people with diabetes who do, who do this. You know, uh, I'm, you know, it's not always easy for me, but I, I'm doing what I want to do with diabetes. And like six months went by and, you know, I had lot, I was living my life and I had forgotten about it. And I got this email, no subject line one day. It was just a photo. It was him with a, with a finisher medal nice. at an Ironman race. And I just remember like, man, like that really stuck with me. It's still today, like kind of got chills just now, uh, thinking about like what that meant to him. And so years later when I, wanted to do something else with my life rather than just work. Um, work was going well for me. I was just meeting my wife, uh, my now wife. And uh, I was like, I want to do something more than just have a job and yep. die, you know? And uh, my, I remember something my dad told me, which was uh, that I'm always happiest when I'm helping people. Uh, and that's true. And I was like, well, who can I help? And I'm sitting there in this hotel and my insulin pump fell out of my gym shorts like it does uh, and clattered on the floor. And I was like, well, this is a sign. Maybe my story can help someone with diabetes. And that was my goal. I was like, you know, 
try to be the person that I needed when I was diagnosed. Yeah. So was that the part? When you, is that when you started? The, that was when you started the podcast. That that sketchy. The you'd say like the sketchy hotel or something like that where you can't couldn't go out at night when you're in a different country. I was yeah. yeah. So I was in Colombia and I uh, you know Colombia is beautiful uh, and the part of Bogota that we were in. I don't speak Spanish and I'm very tall like you, so I stick out like a sore thumb. And so it, you can, you know, tourists get robbed because they're in the places they shouldn't be in and the neighborhoods can turn pretty quickly. So part of the trip insurance was that I'm not allowed to leave the hotel without my translator. Yeah. And so I used that time to try to come up with what I wanted to do. And I had been, uh, you know, working in, in an agency and learning about podcasts and learning about influencers and bloggers and things. And so, I was like, well, maybe there's a chance to, to try this. And I really loved Instagram. It was still relatively you know, new at the time. And I thought, maybe this, this is a good place to start. So uh, like most people do now, like I discovered the diabetes hashtag and the rest is history. Yeah, nice. So, so after, call, after playing, your, you have a career in like college basketball. Um, you actually went pro for a little while. So how did you get noticed by that? And like, how did you like, let them know like, what your like, situation was? Man, good question. How much time do we have? Uh, no, uh, so I think I, I used to joke a lot, and I still do. Like, the really only reason that I was able to turn pro was because I was stubborn, and I just wanted it super bad. Um, you know, my teammates in college who were better than me uh, were like, you know, they were moved on with their lives. One got married, and uh, I, and one started, you know, working at a great job. And I was like, I, I had a cool job, but and a cool job offer uh, that I ended up taking. But in the back of my mind, I always, I never wanted to know like or wonder what if. Mm-hmm. I knew right then I was 22. I was not getting more athletic. I was not getting in better shape like to play basketball. The, the, the window was closing. And I um, so I, I got an agent. I, I had uh, this coach that I actually still work with uh, just to kind of tune up my skills from time to time to you know give me some mental clarity. Uh, he and I were working together and I got into this camp, uh, called the courtside showcase, which was, uh, in Las Vegas. And so I like spent all my money registering and like getting on, getting a buying a ticket for this trip. And I was like, you know what? I like, when I got the internship that I was in at, uh, USA boxing, I told them ahead of time, I was like, Hey, I need, uh, I had this thing lined up. Like I need to be able to to go out of town for a week is that cool and they were like yeah absolutely mm-hmm. uh and they were cool they like latched on to my story of wanting to be a basketball player and um so i just trained the first the first summer i just trained every day and i was like waking up early i just gotten dumped i got broken up with my college girlfriend broke up with me and so i was like dealing with a lot of that trauma by pouring myself into my craft mm-hmm. just basketball 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 i didn't drink for like eight weeks and when you're 22 and you don't drink for eight weeks it's like a big deal yeah <laughs> uh and uh you know so i was in bulletproof shape i was working with this awesome trainer kevin cronin who got me ready and i went to this camp and i tested the third highest vertical of the camp i was in great shape i played really well and when i got done i was in like the top five players that the agency had ranked at the camp and they asked me to sign with the agency and then stay another week in vegas so I signed the contract. I'm represented by the agency. I'm now a professional basketball player. And uh, it, the thing I had to do to celebrate was me and my buddy, who also signed, walked, because there was no Uber at the time, walked like a mile, carrying our gear to like a <laughs> laundromat to wash our clothes in the coin laundry so we had clean clothes for the next week of camp. So very glamorous life. You yeah. Know what I mean, um, <laughs> and absolutely just no money. 
broke, living on hopes and dreams. And I, I went to the next camp, which was called the Euro Challenge, uh, which was a little bit of a higher profile camp. Everybody there, like all the guys in the first camp were people who were trying to be pros. Everybody in the next camp was, was bona fide pros. These mm-hmm. are guys who played for money. And uh, it was definitely different, but I played, I played fine. Um, and the agency was pretty... You know, I remember a conversation with one of the uh, lead agents in the company, and they were like, we feel confident that you can play in Europe for a long time. We just got to get you somewhere. Um, And that just didn't happen. It was the year of the NBA lockout. There were no jobs really overseas. So at some point, I had signed a contract with a team in Germany, and the team sold, and they eliminated their foreign contracts. Mm -hmm. And frankly, there's a lot of guys like you and I, 6'6", hardworking, strong dudes that play basketball over in Germany. They don't need me. So uh, they were like, okay, well, the decision, the time came. It was like, okay, well, we got to make a decision. I got to have a job. And USA Boxing offered me a job, uh, which I took. And I told them, I was like, hey, I'm going to continue to try to train. And I found this awesome trainer, Matt Barnett, in Colorado, in Denver. And I would basically, I would wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'd go work out with my buddy, Kevin Cronin, my guy. Uh, I go to work from eight to five. I leave work at five. I drive to Denver and I go train again, basketball with with some pros who are rehabbing in Denver and my coach Matt Barnett. And I did that for like nine months. And then it came time for the camp again the next year, and I did that again. And I played went much better. Didn't get any offers still, but then I got an invite to this D League camp, uh, which I went to and I did okay at. Then I led to another D-League camp, which I met a coach that I knew. I was just networking at this point. Yeah. And I got that coach to write me a recommendation. And one of my roommates from my first camp had signed with the Washington Generals. And he messaged me one day uh, or texted me. And he was like, hey, man, um, I know you're like still trying to play overseas. Um, but this is a good gig. And if you like, I'll introduce you to the GM. And, uh, you know, I, you'll have to take it from there. But I think this would be a good fit for you. And so I was like, man, I'll take anything at this point. I just wanted a foot in the door. I figured if I could just play a year and get back, you know, in, in good rhythm, I'd meet people, I could get a job. Uh, and so I, I took the job. I ended up doing like a lot, like six months of psych evaluations because they really want to make sure you're not going to freak out when you lose every game. Yeah. Um, which is what happens. And, uh, it was a great experience. It didn't last as long as I wanted, but you know, it was better than I was playing in men's league six nights a week. I was training every day. I was exhausted. I was working really hard at my job. My car blew up. I had to ride my bike back and forth to work. I bought, like, Oh, here's, it's not just my bike. I bought this bike and then I, like my ex-girlfriend had it and it was at her house and the tires were flat. So I hadn't talked to her since we broke up. I had to call her and be like, Hey, I need that bike. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she gave it to me and I, uh, went, I ro- rolled it down to Seven Eleven, and I pumped it up and I rode it back and forth to work for two weeks. Um, because I, I, I don't know, I was just hell bent on trying to make it happen for myself. And so when it finally did, uh, man, it just, it was like the, it was the best thing ever. I, uh, I, I finally did it. I got the Jersey. I got the photos up on the wall. Um, it didn't last as long as I wanted. Uh, turns out that, uh, you know, a couple of the GMs on the Globetrotter side didn't really like me in the show. And, um, so when it was time to re up, they were like, no, we're good. And at that point, my body was in terrible. I was just hurting all the time. Mm-hmm. I've been traveling. I've been living nowhere. So I came home and I was like, you know what? I think, um, I think my basketball career is probably over. So, uh, but I didn't, you know, I answered the question, right? Yeah. Uh, what if, what if you tried to be a basketball player? You can do that. 
and that was good enough for me. Awesome. That's really cool. I mean, that's a, that's some serious dedication right there. Yeah, and I mean, I couldn't have done it without my family support. I couldn't have done it without my work support. Like my friends, when my car blew up, uh, my coworkers at USA Boxing were like driving me, like they would pick me up in my house and drop me off. You know, I was like the intern, <laughs> yeah. dude. I was like everybody was raising me. It was, uh, and you know, cheering for me. And I was working with some of the best athletes in the world uh, at USA Boxing. And I don't know, we should still to this day, some of us had shared that camaraderie of like trying to make it. Mm-hmm. And, especially when like nobody believes in you like and it was a smart bet to not believe in you believe me like people if you said rob dude you're never gonna make it you were probably right but i was so hell-bent on proving those people wrong just for myself yeah uh, that i think that that's what made it happen for me honestly awesome very cool so now since your like career like basketball's over what's your fitness like now like what do you typically do like you know on a day-to-day basis or like do you take like a couple days off here and there uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm old school, so I, I'm 32 now, so I come from that, like, you know, very bro science on one side, and now I'm, like, you know, kind of in the new wave a little bit mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, mobility uh, and strength, and so my, I, I train typically three days a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I play, like, active recovery or something on the weekend. Uh, before COVID, I was playing basketball two or three times a week still, because that's my favorite thing. Uh, I love competing. Um, even in the back of my mind, when I like really give somebody buckets, uh, I, and I have my pump on me, it makes me feel good. I'm like, you don't even have a pump to worry about. And I'm crushing <laughs> you right now. Um, so that's fun for me. I think competitively, and you just don't get that type of like competitiveness in like the business world as much. Yeah. Um, uh, but then I, I do a lot of strength work. I really love lifting weights. Uh, we have a Peloton as well, which I like to do. It's really fun. Has great programming, but. I like moving heavy things around, um, and I've really worked on my hip mobility and my explosiveness. My buddy who was an intern with me at the U.S. Olympic Committee, Corey Schlesinger, he's Slesh Strength on Instagram. He's an amazing trainer. He's the head head athletic trainer or the head uh, strength coach, rather, for uh, the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, just following him over the years and being buddies with him, just trying to pick up some of the things that the, the pros are doing and really bringing the science into it. So... I don't know. I still love jumping and running and moving. And I think what I wanted to do ultimately uh, was when I have kids and they're running around and wanting to play sports that I could get out there and run around with them. Yeah. So um, that, that's sort of my, my goal. But also, I don't know, man, I love being strong. I love being yoked. My wife, uh, my wife, my, I make my <laughs> wife roll her eyes all the time. I'm like, Hey babe, do I look yoked today? And she's just like rolling her eyes. So that's my, that's my, uh, I don't know. That's, I, I love movement. I think for me, it's more mental health, honestly, than physical. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to be strong. Yeah, yeah. I obviously it helps diabetes. Yeah, I I like lifting heavy weights because it just like it just I space out, especially when I do like CrossFit work. I, I'm mainly like a CrossFit guy, so like I'll do CrossFit work. So I kind of like when I'm working out, I'll space out or like you know, you know, like pretty much like on my knees, just like struggling. Just I just know to keep on going. I know to like to try to push myself because obviously. I want to be able to sit on the toilet when I'm like 70 years old or like, you know, be able to like, you know, play lacrosse with my son because he's, he's five or even my daughter too. So that's the main thing is just to stay in shape for pretty much for them. And obviously for me too, because I don't want to be, you know, God forbid, like anybody's listening, but dad bod, like I just, I I can't do that. Like I always want to like push myself to see how far I can go even being at a guy at 41 years old right now. That, you know, that motivates me too. I'm pretty vain. I like to, you know, I like to wear designer clothes too. So I like to, you know, I got to be a little bit leaner, yep. but I, you know, for me, the vanity is more like performance based. So 
when I go out and I play with the young bucks uh, playing basketball and yep. the guys at the highest level, I like to be out there competing. You know, in, in a lot of ways, I'm definitely not the player I used to be. Uh, I just my body is worn down. I've had two ankle surgeries. I'm older. I'm slower. I don't play as much anymore. I, my, I sit down a lot for my job, but I like to get out there and be able to compete. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember playing against like old vets, old, I say old now, but like veterans like me who were, you could tell they were good and they like really knew how to play, but they just weren't physically there anymore. Yeah. And I kind of, that's kind of where I am, where I'm out there at the end of the game for the best team in the championship in the men's league still. And that makes me, that, that gives me joy. I'm like, okay, there aren't that many spots and I just want to keep that spot. That's kind of the reason why I work out and, and train. And, you know, the thing for me too, is trying to stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, a, a big thing, even in COVID is I'm a guy that does a lot of things where, you know, if, I, if I'm the hardest working guy in diabetes, I've got to be available. Mm-hmm. And so that for me means I need to be healthy. My mind needs to be right. I can't be sick. I've got to be uh, able to move. And, you know, that's what I, I really try to, you know, when I'm doing my self-talk and I'm like, okay, you know, are we going to get up and work out today? Uh, what are we going to do? How do we feel? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be available. Yeah. So I, I, I have a feeling I'm getting your vibe of like, if you're on the Peloton, I know you're trying to be number one at the whole time during the Peloton race, right? It's hard, man. Cause like <laughs> that competitiveness will bite you in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> I think like, uh, I, I, I rode with uh, one of my college buddies who was the best player of my senior year. And he, he and his wife just got a Peloton and we did the buddy ride and both of us like were afterwards, he beat me by like 12 points and it was my PR for like a 30 minute ride. And I was dead. <laughs> both of us, he's like, he texted me the next morning. He's like, bro, I can't walk. So I think it's the, uh, you're right. I'm super, I'm like a degenerate competitor, but also like I'm a big dude and you know, big guys have long levers and I'm not, you know, maybe the best to ride a bike, especially a stationary one. So I'm a little bit easier on myself. I try to over the past few years, I try to soften my edges, try to be a little bit nicer to myself. And for me, it's about being available. If I crush myself on one day and I can't move the next, that's a net loss for me. I'd rather be able to maybe take it to 75, 80% and still be able to go the next day. I wear the, the whoop tracker has been a big game changer for me tracking my recovery you know, hydration. Uh, I don't know. That's been a cool thing as a person with diabetes, when you're measuring so much of the data that goes into your body, mm-hmm. I want to know how that affects my overall wellness. And, uh, you know, you know, I've already got diabetes. I've pretty much got that down, but, uh, you know, there's other stuff that, uh, other complications, people don't like to talk about those a lot, but you know, heart disease, um, you know, high blood pressure, these other things that are, chronic illnesses that are associated with diabetes in many cases, even when you have good controls. So I think I try to make my decisions today for myself 30 years from now. Kind of like you said, you want to be able to sit on the toilet by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's your diet like now, since you said you want to be more help, like be more healthier? Uh, well, like for example, I just had a splurge kind of meal, like late end of the week. So I had a, a Bonza pizza, which is like a chickpea crust or cauliflower. Yeah. Chickpea crust okay. Pizza. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've experimented a lot more with uh, plant-based and vegan substitutes this year for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love meat. I love red meat. I love a good steak, uh, medium rare. Don't overcook it. Don't you dare. <laughs> um, uh, and, you know, I love – I'm from Texas. I love high-fat fried foods. Yep. I love – I'm a, I, you know, I love food. But, you know, for me, I, I've learned in the Mastering Diabetes guys, uh, you know – 
at first when I encountered kind of Robbie and Cyrus, I was like, well, this is not for me. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to ever do this. This is like, doesn't really click with me. It's mm-hmm. a good idea, but I'm not into it. And, you know, now I'm putting like 10 pieces of fruit in my salad and it's, it's pretty incredible. The, the difference that I'm able to see in the way your body responds to foods. So anyway, all this, this is a lot of information and kind of a vomit at the mouth, but the thing that I've noticed for me, the, the fewer processed foods I eat, the better my blood sugars are, the better my energy is, the better my physical fitness is. Mm-hmm. That's So for me, it's not necessarily like don't eat meat, only eat fruit or vegetables or whatever. More fresh, whole foods, the better. If I'm eating a lot of fast food or getting takeout from restaurants, even if they're nice restaurants, there's more preservatives and fat oils. Like there's things in there that aren't in the foods that I could cook at home. And so when I'm cooking at home and I'm disciplined, that's when I feel the best. Yeah. I, I, had a, I had a friend of mine. Um, I She worked at the hospital I worked at. And uh, she, I had her on the podcast. Her thing was, if your grandmother doesn't know what that is, don't eat it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay. All right. I mean, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, that's that's perfect. Because, I mean, granted, you know, back in the day, they used lard to, like, you know, layers food up and stuff like that. But, I mean, if they, I, that's awesome. If they don't, under, under know, don't, don't know what it is, then don't eat it. <laughs> Well, and I think there's a lot of food, a lot of ingredients disguised yeah. in other things. You know, they like, oh, it's not sugar, but then there's, you know, all of these bad ingredients in there. Um, or, you know, you know, low fat, but it's like, you know, high trans fat or you know, bad additives. Yeah. Something, um, you know, when I was growing up, my mom wouldn't let us eat trans fat, like uh, poly, polysaturated. Yeah. Yeah. Poly- any, any, any of those, like she would look at the ingredients and that was like an early, she was like an early adopter of like really trying to understand what was in the food we were eating. So, you know, I don't have, uh, I was very fortunate to have a good food foundation of like what's good for me and what's not. And that doesn't mean I always get it right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but when I'm, you know, really dialed in and the more disciplined I am and the more I think ahead and the better choices I make with food, from like a whole ingredients perspective, just like you said, like if your grandma doesn't know what it is, don't eat it. You know, when I'm eating greens and p- potatoes and, you know, good clean meats and, yep. uh, or some be- vegan substitutes or fruits or whatever that, whatever have you, uh, I feel better. Nice. Very cool. So you said it before, you're the hardest working diabetic in the community, which I, I think you are. So, um, you, so how do you handle like, you know, training and then obviously you said it before, like, don't like burn yourself out, but you have a podcast, you have a marketing company, you're, you're a speaker. So how do you even get time to even do a workout? Man, uh, great question. So, you know, I identify as a, as an achiever. That's the language that I know. Um, I'm so extra. I have two therapists. Dude. Like I, uh, <laughs> like I, and I think, you know, a lot of the self-talk that I have behind the scenes in my brain and my heart is like, I, I want to believe that I am capable of whatever, whatever it is that I want. Mm-hmm. Or if there's something that I want to, that I, I am capable of doing it. Um, I think a lot of that comes from my mom. She's the same way. Um, and a lot of times my will exceeds my skill. That's the kind of basketball player I was. I just played hard and, you know, tried to get every edge that I could, uh, where I could. So, you know, somebody asked me today, like, when do you sleep? And it's like, interestingly enough, uh, and now I know this because of my whoop, I sleep now more than I ever have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is because, A, I 
am a super nonfiction nerd. So I've read like all the time management books, all the entrepreneurial books, and, you know, whatever. Um, and I put a lot of things into practice to where I structured my life to focus on my priorities. And, um, you know, we all have to work, you know, we live in, we live in the U S and work is a big part of our culture and identity. And, um, I, you know, I've been very fortunate to have the right business partner, uh, who thinks we should, we have like, we think about things the same way we have shared values and we wanted to build a company that we wanted to work for. Mm -hmm. And neither one of us lived to work. We work to live. Um, so we try to keep that balance. Uh, we work with great, amazing, we have, I have amazing employees. I have amazing clients. And I, I think that's all by design on the diabetes side. You know, this is my passion project. Uh, yes, it's a company. Yes, there are sponsored deals and things, but my goal from day one was to help one person. Uh, some days that person is me. Um, and I think even, you know, recently, as I, I had kind of gotten a little bit busy with podcasts and uh, away from podcasts and they had kind of deprioritized those. But then recently I talked to somebody and it just, it filled my cup up so much with energy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, meeting people with diabetes was something I didn't, uh, allow myself to do for the first 10 years I was diagnosed and I didn't know what I was missing out on. Yeah. Um, and some of my closest friends now have diabetes. So I, you know, I think that's, uh, I used to be the king of compartmentalization and I would keep all these separate and I would keep all the balls juggled up in the air. Uh, and now I'm much more comfortable kind of blending them together. And that's led me to a much more balanced place where, um, I just feel more comfortable making decisions for myself. I think, uh, you know, getting married, I think, and getting a little older also has, like, helped me with that. But, you know, being the hardest working guy in diabetes, like, that's uh, kind of a funny joke punchline for me. <laughs> but I also was like, I look at guys like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. Uh, this guy's not perfect. Um, he doesn't always do or say the right thing. His career has been very different. But he's a guy who most people like and does, you know, most of the stuff he does is good. And he works hard. And what's the one thing that is, like, so consistent about him? He's in the gym. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an athlete. And I think for me, watching The Last Dance, like you see behind me, like there's Michael Jordan stuff that I've had this stuff since I was six years old. Like yeah. it's been part of my life. I identify with that mindset uh, and shape so much of who I am that I was like, you know what? I'm an athlete first. I'm just going to, that's, I'm going to own that. And I'm, I'm going to not hide that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why I lift. That's why I work out. That's why, because that's when I feel the most like myself. Nice. And, uh, entrepreneurialism. I didn't know that that was going to be something that I wanted to do, uh, but it is. And I love it. I think it's uh, every day can be different. It can be wildly challenging. Um, you know, even earlier this year, you know, a lot of days like looking, looking in the mirror, like, is this really what I want to do? Is this these people's livelihoods and families yep. are my responsibility? Um, and it was scary, but it's what I love to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that, um, uh, you know, I've, I've built well, with the people alongside me and, and my support system, built a life that I love and, you know, it gets me out of bed every day. Yeah. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the, on the marriage too. I forgot to tell you that earlier. So, yeah, so, thanks, man. Got so ring. getting used to it. Haven't quite gotten used to the ring yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't worn my ring in a while. Cause like I, I only take it out when we go out to dates. Cause I don't know. Yeah. Cause like I, I worked in like a, like a hospital, I've worked in like roofing and that's the last thing I need is that the ring to get stuck and just like rip my finger right off. So that's like the, that's why I only wear it like on dates and stuff. So, but it's, it's funny. Like my wife will look at me like when we go out and she's like, you wear your ring. And I'm like, sometimes I don't by accident. I'm like, 
crap, I forgot, I'm sorry. And then, like, sometimes I'll ask her, you wearing your ring? No. I'm like, okay. I mean, but we still know, like, it's... Actually, my wife made a joke about uh, we went to Thanksgiving, and I'm like, oh, are you wearing your ring? She's like, no, my parents already paid for our wedding, so they know we're married. So I was like, okay. Yeah, you don't have to prove it to them, at least. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, so my ring actually, uh, you know, I, is, I, I always knew I wanted a gold, like a, this traditional wedding band. This is a weird aside, but like, uh, actually, my mom uh, allowed me to wear my dad's wedding ring. So I got a resized for me. Uh, he passed away a couple years ago, but yeah, so that's my. My ring is a little bit of my. Uh, I, I it reminds me of him too. It's like it looked because I looked down and I was like, oh, I don't really recognize this guy with the gold ring. Yeah, yeah. So haven't people been asking you like it, when you're having kids or whatever like that immediately after you get married? Got married? You know, because of COVID and like being away from people, uh, you know, <laughs> I haven't had a ton of that. I yeah, think we, you know, uh, we've talked about it. Uh, we, I want kids, and so does my wife. So uh, we're just trying to make sure we do it on our own timeline. And yeah. Uh, right now we have two Shibas and a cat, uh, and that is well enough for us. Yeah, like any Shiba Shibinu uh, listeners out there, but they're they're a handful. Yeah, so like when we got married, like immediately the first week after we got married, everyone was like asking, like, when are we having kids? And it's it was like super annoying. I'm like, just just shut up, just like let me do my thing, you know? Like we'll we'll see what happens, and, and who knows? But I mean, it, yeah, you know, I. Uh... I don't know. I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I think uh, being a father is like going to be a, uh, that's an adventure that I've never had not done. And I'm excited to, uh, I think yeah, hopefully that'll be like my greatest adventure. That's what I'm excited, most excited about. Yeah. They're, they're the best. Like there's a book you need to get once you have kids. It's called, dude, you're going to be a dad. And it, it tells you everything. Like it's dude, some guy from Atlanta that talks about his experience and what to expect. So it's, it, anyway, so great, great book I'll to look it. into. So, but, okay. um, you talked earlier about like you know you have like kind of like, almost like you're teaming up with companies like Medtronic, uh, Beyond like Type One, and then um, there was a supplement company. I, I, oh, what was it called? Yeah, Type Zero. Yeah, Type. That's it. So, how did you like when you were trying to like to meet and talk to other people like for you know working with them? How did you go about, you know, did you like study him or like say, hey, this might not be a good fit for me or this might be a good fit? So how did you go about picking the right one for you? That's a really good question because I think, um, you know, I, I didn't know what I was getting into mm -hmm. early on, you know. Um, you know, I'd love to say that, that I had this design. I love, I love doing this. I can't take credit for, you know, I'm just grateful that so many folks have, have followed along and have, you know, believed in me and kind of bought into what I'm doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, my, with Medtronic, I wore a Medtronic pump. I, yeah. I, that was the only really, you know, at the time, even when I started the, like the podcast, I didn't know anything about Dexcom, um, or any other technologies. I sort of just knew what I knew. Um, and so I was like, okay, well maybe Medtronic Diabetes has like social media. So I, you know, looked them up and, um, was like, okay, well I could probably just post about it. So I made some posts and, uh, over the years, they, they, after, after a while, they asked me to be part of the ambassador program, um, which I, I don't know, I, I was all about, you know, and, uh, was just part of, uh, you know, being with a group of Medtronic ambassadors. And over the years, like some opportunities came up to be in photo shoots and, you know, when the 670G came out, they wanted me to dunk with it on. And like, uh, and so like I went to LA and at the time I was actually doing a over the counter T1D challenge, which is something I did at the beginning of 2018, where I, uh, 
I lived on R and N, like over the counter insulin for mm-hmm. a month. So the funny subtext is like my blood sugar was like super high, out of control, like felt terrible that yep. morning. Yeah. Uh, because MPH and R are just a little bit tough to live with. And, uh, but I managed to, uh, to get through the shoot and I like dunked it or whatever. I think I, uh, there we did 32 takes for the dunk and I only missed one. So I felt good about that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, um, for me, it comes back to with Medtronic, like dance with the ones that brung you. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a saying that my, my old man used to say a lot. It was like very Southern thing, probably in Atlanta, you've heard that, but like, you know, they, they've been very supportive of me and, um, you know, since the beginning and I know them, and I love the team that I work with. And so, you know, as things have grown and we did the, the big express thing this summer, I was, uh, got to be featured in express.com mm. and their men's menswear magazine. And, um, it just was the right time to maybe take a step forward. And so now I'm like, a, a have a deeper partnership in sort of a spokesperson role for Medtronic, which is cool. And I don't know, like on the, on the nonprofit side, like, uh, beyond type one, and JDRF, uh, JDRF was there when I was diagnosed, you know, they were the only organization I knew about. So when I wanted to get more involved, I went to my local chapter and I've uh, been very involved with them over the years and now on the board here in Dallas and with beyond type one, very similar, just got introduced, did a couple like articles and, mm-hmm. um, have been, got to know that group. And, you know, I think, uh, you never know that, uh, you know, you're going to be criticized for your relationships with those types of companies initially. And, you know, maybe I would have, uh, if I had known what I what I know now, if I had known then, maybe I would uh, have asked different questions or mm-hmm. I would have uh, gotten clarity on some things. Um, but ultimately, I think like shared values align with like trying to help people with diabetes. Like, and that's uh, what I ask myself now, uh, whenever any sort of opportunity comes in, whether it's like the coolest, biggest thing or like very small, like or take a lot of time and be like a volunteer thing is, the question I ask is, would I have been excited about this on day one of, of the, like when I started this journey? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, I do it. And because, you know, uh, you never know, and this is a great like note for all of your listeners with diabetes, you never know when your story is going to hit somebody the right way. Yep. And it, it could make a huge difference in their life. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I evaluate partnerships based on the fit. Uh, I never rep companies that I don't use. Um, and I mean, that's an easy thing to do. I like stuff, so I'll try it out. Mm. Uh, but I post a lot about like, uh, this company called yellow label that makes hoodies that I like. I'm wearing one right now yeah. you know? uh, and I wear my Medtronic pump and I love it. And, uh, I, I use the type zero pre-workout because John, John Jensen reached out. He's a type one entrepreneur. He and I hit it off. I love the product and it doesn't spike my blood sugar and it doesn't keep me up at night or make my skin crawl. Like I'm sure some crazy, I'm sure you've been through your fair share of crazy. Pre-workout. Yeah. Yeah. There's an, I have a good, I have a long story, but we'll talk about that off air. But, <laughs> okay. but like, you know, and, and companies like real good food to, um, you know, make products that uh, are accessible for people with diabetes. And again, just like, is there, it's all a chemistry check. Right? Yeah. Uh, whenever you're meeting people, like, do we have shared values? Uh, do they value me and my time and what I bring to the table and vice versa? And from there, I mean, I think there's, um, you know, I, like I said, I live a really blessed, fortunate life that I work with people on all different fronts who I really enjoy mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, have a shared respect and value for. Nice. So when you actually go to like the JDRF like conferences or whatnot, do you, do you get like a bunch of people like coming up to you to take pictures with you? And like, and what is that like to you is like, 
are, are, are you thinking like, wow, these people like really like want to take pictures with me? Like what, like, you know, I'm just a regular guy with like a diabetes and stuff like that. Like, what is it? What goes through your mind when people, you have like little fam like fans of yours that want to take pictures with you? Yeah. I mean, it's exactly like that. I forget sometimes cause I'm just a pretty normal guy, but at the same time, like I know I'm there, I'm in the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love meeting people with diabetes, like kids, yeah. parents, I've had some conversations at those events, like, you know, after the, after the pictures and people talk, you know, we share the Instagram stories or whatever, like those things are great. But the ones where somebody waits in line to talk to you and they have a real problem or a real question about their kid, or they have a question about their coach, or they have a question about how to prepare for a track meet or whatever. Uh, and they want like those moments, like, man, I, I'd shake hands and take a million pictures just to get to one of those. Yeah. Um, because those are, I know, if I was in their shoes and they had access to somebody like me who was willing to talk about those things, would have really helped. So, uh, I don't know, man. I'm just immensely grateful. And I think, like, when I have conversations like that, I'll go to an event, you know, in pre-COVID times, and I'd be there for, you know, I fly in the night before, 7 a.m. I'm there till noon, and then I leave out. And I've been on, I've spoken probably two times, I've met 100 people, and I get back to the gate at the airport and i just sit down and i kind of like decompress mm-hmm. and i just feel so full i i don't know those those things are for me just to be able to add any amount of ray of sunshine to a life with diabetes uh man i'd run through a brick wall for that yeah so um i don't know man it's uh I'm, i feel blessed i'm for, and fortunate like of course i'll take a picture with you why why not you know yeah. it's, it's goofy <laughs> most of them don't the weird ones though when people don't tag me in them like what are they doing with them do they save them or they print them out i don't know it's pretty strange well they probably put it on their wall like you know hall of fame of diabetics or something like that so <laughs> I, i'd love to see that i yeah i don't know i uh yeah so we're almost getting towards the end so um, a couple quick questions so do you have any goals i mean granted it's like get a month left before the new year but i i know i know you were talking about like doing a um i think it was you were trying to do a 360 dunk was it was that yeah i was trying to dunk between the legs oh that's it that's it yeah yeah um so do you have any goals for like next year that you want to achieve like non-diabetic diabetic related or even fitness wise yeah, you know, um, this is – I'm a creature of habit, like a cyclical. I operate like cyclically. So at this time of year, um, I typically take inventory of where we are where we are, yep. uh, or where I am at the end of the year, and I get into like that planning phase, and I try to set myself some goals. Uh, one of the things like with the whoop strap, I was like, I want to see what a year's worth of data looks like. Uh, so my year will be up like in the first week of January. Um, I think fitness-wise, uh, you know, I keep – basketball just keeps tugging me i i would love to you know maybe get in shape for like do like a six-week camp of some kind and like go and do a tryout and just like see you know for some press and mm-hmm. see if i can maybe inspire some people to believe in themselves a little bit more i yeah. think i could probably do that without my body falling apart um but you know uh, i i think for me i i'd love to i really want to go on a honeymoon uh, my wife and i have not gotten a chance to do that i want to take I'd love to take a month and just be gone. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know if I'll get to do that yet, but if uh, if the opportunity presents itself, that's uh, something that, you know, just to celebrate our, our life together and really kind of kick that off. And I think, you know, when you start to think about kids and things like that, you know, you're giving up a lot of your time, mm-hmm. a lot of your, uh, a lot of energy because that person needs you. Yep. Uh, so I don't know, maybe just sort of celebrating the, the end of the young, uh, you know, solo couple chapter. 
maybe and, and start thinking about kids but i don't know i um uh, also i'm trying to do some youtube stuff i'm trying to get more consistent there and um I, I just enrolled in a course to try to teach me some more online business stuff so always trying to learn and uh and grow and you know keep refining myself i think that's the interesting thing is uh I don't know, two years ago, my New Year's resolution was to go to the dentist. And because I hadn't <laughs> been in a few years. And like, it yeah. took me a while to get there, but I finally did. And, uh, you know, as of this month, I won't have to go more often. I'll, like, my goal is finally accomplished. Like, I, I have healthy teeth and I'm in good shape. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I don't know. I, I believe in small goals. And uh, I, I think for me, I, I just want to be uh, a little bit kinder to myself, a little bit more attentive and present with my wife. Uh, and, you know, just be a better leader. Uh, and I think that's where, um, you know, accountability comes into that, be a better man, be a better leader. And I think when I do that, when I double down on being a better leader, really pouring into others, that's how I really uh, get a lot of value for myself out of that. And uh, I see other people succeed. Uh, that, that just, uh, I don't know, brings me all kinds of joy. So that's, uh, I don't know, that, that's a great question. I haven't really thought too much about it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to do one of those things. Whether the between the legs dunk happens for me or not, yeah. you know, we're, we're really getting close to like <laughs> being too late. But uh, I got the home gym now. I'm doing a lot of single leg Bulgarian squats. So we're going to, we're going to try, we're going to get there. Nice. Yeah. My, my, so when I, I played college basketball for a while, like just a little bit and um, my, my patent dunk was called the Lennon deluxe where what I would do is I'd start at the three point line. I throw it up in the air, catch it, and like I do a reverse dunk, but I bring the ball pretty much all the way down to the my feet, like a um, like a Harold Minor. And uh, if anybody doesn't know, that's an NBA, former NBA player, and they just like sl- yep. throw it right in there. So and that that was that that was that was my move. So that's a pretty damn good dunk. I uh, one of my best in game dunks was in a pro am in Denver uh, after I graduated. I was like at the bounciest of my life, and. Uh, I like when did the the touch your like the Dominique kind of like between the legs tomahawk yeah. uh, you know uh, double tomahawk reverse and uh, almost hit my head on the rim it was pretty awesome I, like <laughs> one of my buddies who was a little bit older than me and he's like he was a physical therapist was like dude you need to calm down out here man we're you're gonna you're gonna get somebody hurt out here trying to <laughs> trying to do this so it was, uh, just a fun moment uh, yeah I don't fly like that anymore though I gotta really dig in and if I'm gonna I'm gonna squeak one of those between the legs dunks in. Yeah, I can't even. I haven't played basketball in years, so I can't even imagine like what. I'm, I probably can barely even get to the rims because I just don't You're jump. You're a strong guy, though. I've seen you like deadlift and stuff. I bet you could do it. I probably. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. You know, who knows? But um, all right. So the other one is, what is your favorite book, nonfiction or fiction? Oh man. Okay. So fiction favorite books, and so I'm, I'm uh, googling here. Uh, I'm looking at my because or not my uh, not googling rather. So, in my notes here, one of my favorite I think um, when I was playing with the Globetrotters, one of the things that I really wanted to do was to maximize my travel time to mm-hmm. learn uh, because I was like I'm never going to have this much time in my life. Yeah, let's like dig in. So I read a lot of books and I have there's a blog on diabetics doing things called the Rob Howe EMBA, Electronic MBA, and. Um, and there are a bunch of books that I've read uh, that I think are just really good for anybody who's interested in entrepreneurship or business or marketing or whatever. But I'd say the book that really stands out to me and the first thing that came to my mind is, is the one I'm going to go with. And that's Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that right when I started my business and just hearing from all these like incredible achievers and like the things that they did, whether it's like it's, it's told in 
three parts health, wealth, and wisdom. And I just found it really, I don't know, it was really cool to hear this. Arnold Schwarzenegger wrote the introduction. Uh, and I don't know, it was, it was very good, and, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, the best business book that I would recommend for anybody who's interested in marketing is the 22 Immutable Principles of Marketing. It's a little bit old. It's a little bit dated. But I read that when I was on tour with the Trotters, and it changed my career. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think, uh, not our fiction-wise, I love, like, airport trash, like, uh, Gage <laughs> Turner, James Patterson. Yep. Like, those are those are my books, man. But uh there was, uh, there was this book I read when I was a kid that always stuck, stuck out, and it's a little bit like of a fantasy book, and it's called The Great and Terrible Quest. And it is, uh, if you have kids, it'd be a great, like, bedtime story to read to them, mm-hmm. kind of a knight and a young kid story. Uh, and it has a poem in it that I still, you know, it, it, I don't remember the whole thing, but I remember the the crux of it. It's like a, a great page turner and a twist. A really good story. So that, the Great and Terrible Quest is probably my favorite fiction book. Okay, awesome. Now, uh, two other two other questions. So the most most important one is, what would you tell a new person that just recently got diagnosed as a diabetic what to expect for the rest of their life? Well, you know, uh, diabetes is what I was because you know I think there's so much rhetoric in the in the outset mm-hmm. of. Of diabetes of a cure. Uh, I don't know how much of there there is today still, but uh, my experience was like, hey, don't worry. In twenty years, this is going to be cured. And like hands down. And I've heard many people mention the same thing. What I would say is not that, because if you leave the possibility for that, mm-hmm. great. I'd love to be surprised. Yeah, I would love to be surprised. But I would say. First of all, make a friend with diabetes. Embrace and accept. Find a way to accept yourself as you are uh, because this is not going away. Yep. And the only thing that you have to do is never give up because it, it, diabetes has taken people down um, and it will continue to do so. Um, so I would say you know, rely on the strength of, of your friends and your community and your family if you can. Get connected. Reach out to somebody um, and just know that you know, it may look really cool what Rob Howe and other people and, and what Thomas is doing on Instagram, but we have our bad days too. Uh, and some days we have low blood sugars that keep us from getting out of bed or make us real sweaty in workouts and make us have to like eat Skittles on the floor of the gym uh, and normalize some of that struggle. And I think life is life is a struggle. Uh, free And uh, Angela Davis's book, Freedom is a Constant Struggle. Mm-hmm. I think diabetes, freedom with diabetes is a constant struggle. Yeah. Um, and normalizing that conversation uh, is, is super important. So I would say, hey, you know what? This is going to be hard. That's okay. You can do it. Don't give up. Yeah. Awesome. And where can people reach out to you? Obviously, you're you're pretty you know vocal on social media. Uh, where can people reach out to you if they have a question about anything? I'm very online. So uh, just Google Rob Howe Diabetes. You'll find me. But uh, DiabeticsDoingThings.com. Rob Howe 21 on Instagram, Diabetics Doing Things on Instagram. Uh, I'm here. I'm here to lend a ear. If you, uh, I mean, people message me crazy stuff, and sometimes I'm like, well, this is crazy. But, uh, you know, if, if you're cool, I'll respond to you. Yeah, awesome. Well, well, thank you very much for doing this podcast. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for the time that you actually gave me for this. It, it truly means a lot to me. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I'm glad that we made this happen. Thank you for asking. And, uh, man, I'm. Uh, I'm proud to see the growth, dude. It's only been five years and you're already like, you know, podcasting all over the place, doing all of it. I love it. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you.